products that start at 51 often become operational at 52. And yes, secrets can and have been kept. Area 52, the other secret base. That is George Knapp reporting. I'll host News Nation's special coverage of this week's historic congressional hearing. It's Wednesday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern. Reporting in Chicago, I'm Brian Enton, News Nation. And we will be watching. I'm Nicole Burley. That is all for News Nation Now. I thank you so much for watching today. Let's give you a look at our primetime lineup. But first, the biggest headlines out of our nation's capital. The Hill starts right now. Republicans ready to impeach President Biden in their most direct threat thus far. Just hours ago, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy questioned Biden's claims that he did not speak to his family, specifically his son Hunter, about any of their overseas business dealings. So what comes next? Plus, Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville joins us to discuss his hold on military nominations to protest the Pentagon's abortion policy. What will it take to end the impasse? And lawmakers search for the truth on UFOs. Are you waiting for this? We're going to speak to the congressman leading the committee hearing tomorrow on Capitol Hill and discuss whether or not UFOs could be a national security threat. And we welcome you this Tuesday to The Hill on News Nation. I'm Elizabeth Pran. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a great panel. It's going to be quite exciting. Scott Bolden, former D.C. Democratic Party chairman and legal analyst, May Mailman, former Trump White House attorney and senior fellow at the Independent Women's Law Center. Bob Cusack, editor-in-chief of The Hill. And Sherry Bustos, former Illinois Democratic congresswoman. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I'm so grateful. So tonight, with the prospect of an impeachment inquiry against President Biden, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy appears to be on board with the idea more than ever. But has he always had this stance? And why now is the Speaker indicating possible impeachment over Republican-led investigations into alleged financial misconduct? So what an impeachment inquiry does, it gives us the apex of the power of Congress for Republicans and Democrats to gather the information that they need. Where's the truth? You've got to get to the bottom of the truth. And the only way Congress can do that is go to impeachment inquiry that gives Republicans and Democrats the ability to get all the information. All right, so let's start this off with our panel. Congresswoman, if I may start with you, a little bit of a change of tune here. We haven't always heard this tone with the speaker. Your thoughts? Well, just watching that soundbite, really, the only way to get to the truth is to have an impeachment hearing? It's like, <clears throat> no, he's been all over the board. He's got the House Freedom Caucus, the farthest of the far right, in his conference, and um, I think he's listening to them. He is so fearful that he's going to lose his job as speaker because just one person can bring up what's called the motion to vacate, get him out of the, uh, if if there were enough votes to get him out of that speaker's chair. And I think he's more concerned about his own political future than he is about the nation. And thus now he's all of a sudden going to impeachment talk. You know, May, we had a statement last night. I said, you know, the speaker seems to be be in a rock and a hard spot. Boy, I've heard that before. (laughs) Well, so... You know, is impeachment serious? Well, on one hand, Joe Biden has the ultimate insurance policy, which is Kamala Harris. But on 
The other hand, if we're looking at the Trump standard or even the Clinton standard, I would say lying about whether or not you are involved in a bribery scheme is much bigger than lying about whether you had sexual relations with that woman. And Trump, the first impeachment, was about withholding money from Ukraine so that he could get information. Well, here the allegations are about withholding money from Ukraine because Hunter Biden asked for uh, the stop of an investigation into his company Burisma, which was paying Hunter Biden $83,000 a month. So it really depends on what you're looking at. If it's the Trump standard, if it's the Clinton standard, then why not go through the impeachment Well, there's process? only one. There's only one standard, and it's not a fair comparison between Trump and Biden. It's called corroboration. With Trump, you had witnesses, firsthand witnesses, that corroborated what he did in both instances when he was impeached. With Biden, you've had a GOP prosecutor look at his son for five years. You've had a the uh, Democratic prosecutor look at this and there's been no corroboration and no firsthand witnesses in the Burisma report it's all conjecture and hearsay even Burisma's CEO doesn't agree or doesn't confirm that they paid them hundreds of thousands of dollars or five hundred thousand dollars and so an impeachment inquiry is a political process it's been investigated already this is going nowhere and you're going to give Biden a win you're going to give him a win during an election year if they go through with this has it been yeah, investigated though well, I don't know if it's going nowhere Scott I mean I don't think he has the votes remember <laughs> uh, House Republicans just have a four seat majority and this is throwing red meat to the Freedom Caucus mm-hmm. however there are 18 Republicans who Moderate reside ones. in Biden districts. Yeah. They don't want this. And right. remember, we've talked about impeaching not only Biden, but Mayorkas, right? Six of them. And these uh, Republicans from Biden districts are the reason why Republicans have the majority and they could be jeopardized with these kind of votes. I meant that, too. <laughs> I can tell you this, too. Being a Democrat that, who was in a Trump district, when the talk of impeachment uh, about Donald Trump was always out there. It, it like on day one of him being sworn in. You remember there was a, an effort to impeach. I was like, come on, you know. I mean, that is not helpful from a political perspective, whether you are a Republican in a Biden district or a Democrat in a Trump district. But from the Republicans' standpoint, I think is we've seen the politicization of the impeachment process. I think. Um, And so if only the Democrats get to use it in a certain manner, and I know you say, oh, there was corroboration. Well, that's what that's exactly what Kevin McCarthy was saying. We we need to figure out what's going on. Why has the FBI not finalized this investigation? Why has uh, the U.S. attorney Weiss not finalized that investigation? What is going on? And to figure that out, he seems to say that the impeachment process would help with that corroboration. Right. And, I, and I do want to get to this next topic because we're, we're kind of shifting gears here. But it, it brought me to the idea because in the meantime, um, a large, which is a third indictment, is actually looming over former President Donald Trump. So I'm sort of segueing here now to, to uh, the Republican Party. He's been leading the Republican field. We talk about it almost every night by a quite a large margin, despite the fact that he is facing concerns from within his own party. Some GOP senators who oppose the former president are concerned that a third indictment really could actually help his campaign. One of those is Senator Mitt Romney. In an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal, Romney offers a plan on how to stop Trump from being the nominee. He is calling for Republican donors and influencers to get candidates to drop out of the race by February, those who may not have the ability to compete with him. So I want to go to the panel now. And Bob, I want to start with you on this one. Is this a valid concern? Do you think that this is a strategy with Mitt Romney saying, you know what, if you aren't going to be competitive with him, drop out? Yeah, I mean, it's reasonable. And and the date, the deadline he has put is late February, and that would be after the early state. So we would have an indication. I think 
some candidates are not even going to get there. Um, but if you talk to House Republicans and Senate Republicans, it's like they're in a different party when you're talking about Trump. I mean, not only Mitt Romney, but you've got Mitch McConnell, John Thune, Mike Rounds, uh, and many others who publicly have gone after Trump. The indictments have helped Trump so far. But watch this third one, polling from Harvard-Harris uh, that we just wrote about. 57% of people said there is a, a, a very strong case or somewhat strong case on January 6th. And, but May, look at this calendar, and we can put it up on our screen. We have October 2023, January, January, March, March. I mean, he's going to be in quite a few legal battles while trying to advocate for his own campaign. Luckily, he has the highest name ID potentially in the world, so he doesn't necessarily have to make his case. He also was president for four years. We saw uh, Joe Biden campaign from his basement um, four years ago, and that that was actually better. So some people who are in favor of Trump might say, you know what, less is more, actually, when it comes to trying to win. Um, So I don't know if actually being in court and being away from the campaign is is going to be harmful. Well, getting indicted and convicted, it's going to be very hard. Yeah, those are, those are two different I'd rather be things. campaigning. It is. But I'd rather be campaigning than sitting in a courtroom. And on the criminal piece, he's got to sit in the courtroom. That May 25th day that's coming up, mm-hmm. and that date's going to probably stick. And if he gets indicted again, he's going to be in court more than he's going to be campaigning. But, but is, is he going to be able to appeal everything until after the election? Yes, he will. If he gets convicted, if okay. he gets convicted, he'll be able to appeal. It'll be up to the judge as to whether he stays out on appeal. And now we're in uncharted territory. Let's say he gets convicted of 30 felonies, if you will. Right. Yes. Just let's just say that. Right. And they're all up on appeal and he stays in the race. I don't think he can, he's going to stay in the race. But let's say he stays in the race. And what happens if he loses all his appeal and he's the nominee? I don't think a Republican nominee uh, under under several convictions, they can run and stay in the race. But I don't think this country is going to elect Donald Trump under those circumstances, whether it's Biden or anybody else. I just don't see it happening. I want to bring a congresswoman in on this conversation because you're looking at his competition, which obviously Mitt Romney, you know, had to spark that conversation. We look at at DeSantis, if I'm not mistaken, losing 38 staffers. And, um, you know, is, is he going to be viable in this competition? Is he a threat to the former president? Well, I, I think DeSantis laying off his staff does it have a is it a reflection on right. the money that he has? Is it a what, did he did he ramp up too quickly too soon? I mean, there's all kinds of stories behind that that I'm sure you will report on um, in in the coming days and weeks. Um, look, I mean, he's the closest to, to Donald Trump, and so to um, to the point that uh, Romney was making, um, I, he just wants to make sure somebody can beat Donald Trump. I think that's the point that he's making. And the more that you have in there, it just divides all of that vote up. Romney's headline, though, is a little bit funny because he's trying to prevent a Trump plurality. Well, Mm -hmm. Trump is already at a majority of support. Exactly. So (laughs) even if you have a one-on-one race at this point, Trump is still winning. So it seems like a strategy that just isn't enough. And the problem is Romney as the messenger. Romney is seen as somebody who hates Trump. So it doesn't seem like he's trying to build the party up. He's trying to, like, win. You know, he wants a Republican. It just seems anti-Trump, even if it's trying to be a broader, happier But but if those other candidates get out of the race, right, I think what Romney is really saying is that if you get him one-on-one, he's got 30 to 40 percent of the vote on the GOP side. You can't 
You're not going to shake those voters from him. you got to go find new GOP voters. 60 to 70 percent are out there. And what these candidates are doing, they're not doing that yet. But if you had one or two in, they could go find those new GOP uh, voters and try to convince them to support him, support themselves, or another candidate other than Donald Trump. Right. And that's how you kind of go around him or go through him. Okay, well, mm -hmm. we'll, see. we'll see if that actually happens, right? And turning now to the Democratic side of the 2024 race, a New York City venue has canceled an anti-Semitism event that was supposed to be hosted by Democratic hopeful Robert F. Kennedy Jr. News Nation correspondent Robert Sherman is here to break down all the details. Robert, more accusations of censorship coming days after Kennedy testified before lawmakers on the Hill. Can you explain this to us? As we all know, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has been very outspoken about this issue. Now we see him taking aim at this group, which canceled his event. He put this out on Twitter. I want to read that to you now. It says, quote, the New York Society for Ethical Culture just canceled my event with Rabbi Shmuley, scheduled for tomorrow night. That would be tonight. They're evidently under tremendous pressure since they violated a binding agreement and canceled without explanation. This shows the DNC's fierce determination and awesome power to censor criticism of an embattled president. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has come under fire for comments he made about the origins of COVID-19, including this one, where he said, quote, there is an argument that it is ethnically targeted. COVID-19 attacks certain races disproportionately. COVID-19 is targeted to attack Caucasians and black people. The people who are most vulnerable are Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese. Kennedy has taken some heat for these comments, but contends he has done nothing wrong, saying as much in front of the House Judiciary Committee. This is what he had to say. And by the way, I want to say this while I'm on the record, that in my entire life and why I'm under oath in my entire life, I have never uttered a phrase that was either racist or anti-Semitic. We have received this statement from the New York Society of Ethical Culture, which reads, quote, upon learning the details of this rental, the society's leadership determined that it was inconsistent with the longstanding principles and values of the society and exercised our right to cancel the rental. A reasoning was shared with the renter. No contract had been finalized and no outside organization or individuals were consulted in our decision. But the Kennedy team says they are planning to go forward with that event tonight. They've picked a different venue. And I think it's worth noting here, Elizabeth, that even as you see all these criticisms of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., take a look at the polls still polling in double digits nationwide as he pursues the Democratic nomination. Elizabeth. All right, Robert Sherman, thank you so much. Scott, you know I'm going to toss it, toss it to you. You know that, right? All right. Was he being intentionally censored? I know you don't have a, a magic Where's source. my crystal ball? That's what I was going to say. You don't have a crystal ball, I can't answer that question. Are you no, sure? Here, listen. If Both sides have their, their positions. If the contract wasn't signed, then it wasn't signed, it wasn't finalized. And they control who rents the place and who doesn't rent the place. Obviously, Robert Kennedy has a different take on it, but he's... He is looking for another place. I don't know whether that was the basis. They deny it. If there was money exchanged, they can give the money back to the uh, to RFK. But I, I don't know. I, this is more political and a tempest in the teapot than anything else. They're going to move on and do their event somewhere else. But, Bob, he's still getting double digits. I'm telling you, there is a lot of criticism, but I only see his numbers going up in the polls. I could be wrong. Well, he's very good at, at, at getting the media's attention. There's no doubt about it. And he has a gift for saying some crazy things in a very normal way. And then you think, no, that's crazy. What he said uh, that was reported by the New York Post, which he disputed, even though it's his own words, was kind of ridiculous and offensive. Right. And the fact that he 
blame the media. And remember, Republicans are talking up RFK Jr. now. New York Post likes RFK Jr. He's but more Republican than Democrat, though. He's been praising, well, he's been praising Trump a lot. Absolutely. I mean, he's a Green New Dealer. I, let's not go full Republican. No, no, he's a Republican. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think he's a threat? Um, I don't think he's a threat. I think the Democratic Party is strong enough to squash RFK. But, you know, these stories about getting canceled, they're ones that actually I, as a Republican, kind of uh, can sympathize with. I'm uh, part of the Federal Society, and there are venues that won't let us do our events there. I mean, like, that to host judges and talk about the law. So this idea that there are businesses that your kind isn't welcome here... It's it's one that I'm I, you know it's like I I feel it may be bothersome but it's their choice if you're the proprietor of the place and there are lots of other places that the Federalist Society could uh, participate in and oh, talk and to federal do. judges about conservatism <laughs> that is uh, disturbing to some of us <laughs> but before, there have been used for that now before I wrap Congresswoman <laughs> I do want to include you because uh, he is making headway I'm sort of taking a macro view here but I have seen his name really pop up in more headlines than that I've than I noticed at the beginning of the race well he's a Kennedy right. Um, Number one. And, and I think what's so unfortunate, I served with Joe Kennedy. Um, great guy. Normal. Like, I, I can't imagine what the normal side of the Kennedy clan must think of him. I mean, to, to your, your point that you made, that he appears to be normal but talks about crazy things. Um, here's the problem I have. I'm a former journalist myself. And when you've got a guy like RFK Jr. throwing out that this was the DNC, like, uh, with no proof, um, and here we are talking about it on, sure. on national mm-hmm. news, but he, he got what he wanted out of this. And, and my guess is he's like, yeah, you know what, I'm getting a little more press on this. Um, but, I, uh, look, I, I hope he doesn't do any damage uh, to Joe Biden in this race. But I think a lot of Democrats are talking about the Jill Stein effect in mm-hmm. 2016 and what happened to Trump winning and Hillary Clinton losing with those few votes that Jill Stein got that would have made a difference had Hillary Clinton. Do you, do you, think, those. you think he'll run as a third party? Well, I, I, I mean, he's talking about the. I, I don't know what he's going. I don't know yeah, what he's no, going to end up doing. But we, and no, then we, we got the Cornell West. Ball. Right. Well, but then we have the Cornell West effect as well. Exactly. So, so exactly. you've got that. You've got RFK. You've got the no labels. If we want to have a little conversation about that, you know. <laughs> right. So there's a lot of, of, of things at play that could yank away votes from Joe Biden, and that is of concern. And RFK. Uh, his family members, some of the family members have come out against him uh, just this week. I think his nephew or, or oh, yeah. a few others who said all should. basically well, and his, should stop uh, And our own Elizabeth Vargas asked him that mm-hmm. question. He said, do you agree with your family on everything? And it was a valid response. It was a thank you, panel. Appreciate it. All right, coming up, our one-on-one with Senator Tommy Tuberville. He's holding military promotions over the Pentagon's abortion policy. What will it take to end this months-long blockade? We're going to ask him about that. Plus, a historic hearing on UFOs. Witnesses are set to testify tomorrow to Congress. We're going to speak with the lawmaker who called UFOs a national security threat. Welcome back. Despite facing intense opposition, Alabama Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville is not backing down. He is single-handedly holding up hundreds of military nominations and promotions that require unanimous participation of Senate members. Tuberville is trying to force the military to change its abortion policy. He does not want federal money to be used for military members and their families to travel 
to find an abortion. Meanwhile, the senator is also tackling different controversial issues. Today, introducing a bill along with West Virginia Democratic Senator Joe Manchin to regulate name, image, and likeness rights for college athletes. Senator Tuberville joins us now from Capitol Hill. Senator, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I want to start with the name, image, and likeness. Why is it so important to you? You obviously have firsthand experience. Is it, is it for women? Is it for the ninth and 10th graders who are getting influenced? Why are you so passionate about this? Well, there's a lot of problems. And number one, Joe Manchin and I got together last year, and, and both of us have had some experience in high school athletics and college athletics. And how, and, and we recognize how important it is to our country. Uh, so we decided that we would talk with coaches, administrators, uh, parents, athletes, uh, NCAA, and we, we started out a process of trying to think, can we help on this? Because we saw that college athletes is basically in a tailspin right now with money being made, which I'm all for. I'm, I'm all for athletes making money since the Supreme Court said that they can make it off their name, image, and likeness. But uh, it's really gotten out of hand. Uh, it wasn't, it's not as much about the name, image, and likeness. It's, it's more about recruiting with money. And it wasn't supposed to be that way. So we, we work with all these different people for the last year. We've come up with four or five basic rules that we want the, every state to go by to make it fair for everybody. We want to be able to save women's sports and Olympic sports because if we don't do something like this, there's not going to be any money for, for the Olympic sports and women's sports. It's all going to go to four or five different athletes on teams, and it's going, it's going to throw uh, unbalance to this whole situation. So I don't know whether we can get it passed. I don't know whether the Democrats will vote for it. They want to unionize everybody in this country. But uh, the, the problem is right now that we've just got to get it to the Senate floor. We've got to get it to the House and get Joe Biden to sign it. Now, uh, we're going to have a lot of opposition. But that's fine. Every other bill's like that. But at the end of the right. day, we want it to be about the student athlete and about education. And, sir, speaking of opposition, and, um, you know, there has been a lot of talk about your stance. There's a lot of military leaders who are waiting for promotions. It's very, very personal, sir. I'm curious if you will sit down with the president uh, and change your mind. Well, first of all, I'm a military brat. My dad was career military uh, uh, he gave his he gave his life to the military, and so there's nobody more for our military than me. But I do not want our military to turn turn into a woke political military. Our military is it's not union for a reason. Uh, it's not an equal uh, opportunity employer either. It's for people that want to protect and defend the United States of America and its allies. But this but administration, but sir, and respectfully, respectfully involved in. But if you, if you are in the interest of protecting our country, you would think that military readiness would be front and center on this issue. Would you not change your mind before the recess? No, I'm not going to change my mind. I'm, first of all, I've had z almost zero uh, communication with the White House. I mean, if, if they really cared about readiness and uh, the things that really need to be happening with our military, they'd change this back in five minutes and then send a bill down there to the floor and let Congress go through this and pass it either for or against it like we're supposed to. But they're making laws from the White House and the Pentagon. I'm not going to stand for it. That's not what the American people okay. want. That's so, not what our Constitution says. What, what would make you change your mind? Nothing? Move the policy back the way it was 
It would, we had zero complaints about it. The Biden administration did this because of Roe Wade. Move it back the way it was. We have an abortion policy. Uh, we're going from 24 to 30 abortions a year to six or 7,000 now. Now, to me, that's a little bit extreme. I would think anybody would say that. So move the policy back and then send a bill over to Congress. Let Schumer put it on floor and let's vote on it. And if it passes, I'm fine with it. But don't dictate and, and legislate from the White House and the Pentagon. That's not what they're supposed to be doing. That's what Congress does. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, you, you talked about being a, a military family. Uh, and, uh, and, of course, thank you for, your, for uh, your father's service. But you did make a campaign promise, sir. And, and you told a number of constituents in Alabama that you would be donating your salary. Uh, and I, I'm curious if you have done that. There's right. been some watchdog repo- reporting that you haven't. Are you planning to do it? And if so, um, where would you be allocating those funds? Yeah, uh, sure I would. I've got a foundation. The problem is, as soon as I moved into into this seat, I've been audited, attacked by the IRS. I'm not going to do anything until I get the IRS out of my foundation. It is ridiculous. I mean, they go after every Republican. Uh, uh, so I'm not giving my money to the IRS. That's not going to happen. I want to give it to our okay. veterans. So that will be taken care of. Okay, so you, we, we have you on record, sir, because you made that ca- campaign promise. You will be giving those funds to, to the men and women who serve our country, specifically You're in the exactly great state right. of Alabama. Exactly right. Exactly right, right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. All right, let's turn to our panel. Who wants to go first? I don't know. Where do you start? Um, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Republicans, they always get a dig in on the Dems and what have you. But the reality is um, the, the, he's driving this negative narrative regarding the military and the holdup of the appointments. As I understand it, the Dems or the Democratic Senate could do this one at a time, but it would take forever. Uh, I'm surprised they're not having discussions between the Democrats and the Republicans to try to move this ball. I know the White House has called it dangerous and what have you, and it is, but it just seems to me that the politicalization and weaponization is coming from uh, Tuberville for the military, right? The military has been politicized and weaponized by him over this abortion issue. That doesn't seem fair. Has the military, though, been weaponized and politicized by Senator Tuberville? Or, I mean, it is Biden who imposed the vaccine mandate and got 8,000 service members to quit. They haven't met their recruiting goals last year, not even close, and this year is looking worse. And what they've done is put like a drag queen Navy person as one of their official spokespeople. If we're talking about making the military political, it is not Senator Tuberville that is starting that. The president's the commander in chief. I'm not sure how the commander-in-chief of our military could politicize anything or weaponize anything. And the military is open to everyone, everyone who wants to serve, regardless of their sexual orientation. Bob, I'll give you the last word. Becoming right. quickly a campaign issue. DeSantis right. has defended uh, the senator and what he's doing. And I'm sure this is going to come up in the debate. We'll see where Trump is and others. Yeah, I don't think this is the last that we're going to hear of it, clearly. Coming up, Congress seeks the truth. Are UFOs real? or not. And if so, why doesn't the public know about it? A historic hearing takes place tomorrow on Capitol Hill. We're going to get insight from a key lawmaker who wants answers himself. Welcome back. The truth is out there and Congress wants to find it. Tomorrow, the House Oversight Committee will hear testimony from three witnesses who have had inexplicable encounters with unidentified aerial phenomenon or UAPs. 
In May of 2022, Democratic Congressman from Indiana, Andre Carson, oversaw a similar hearing. Here it is. Unidentified aerial phenomena are a potential national security threat, and they need to be treated that way. For too long, the stigma associated with UAPs has gotten in the way of good intelligence analysis. Congressman Andre Carson joins us now. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so curious to hear, are you an, what are you anticipating ahead of tomorrow? Is there a national security threat? The thought of uh, the government holding back intel from the American people is, is quite a thought. Absolutely. You know, uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to see more public attention focused on the issue of UAPs this time on the House Oversight Committee. However, I would advise my Republican colleagues leading this effort to do a lot more listening and not jump to unfounded conclusions. And, you know, I, I really understand the importance of this issue, but, you know, I've been sounding the alarm for years now. Uh, as you know, last session, I held the first UAP hearing in 50 years since Project Blue Book. It was an issue that was taboo to talk about. There were chuckles and sneers uh, from colleagues. But interestingly, uh, colleagues from both sides of the aisle expressed an interest in having more hearings. I think the challenge presents itself when we have open hearings and we're not giving our adversaries and opponents uh, a strategic advantage by uncovering things otherwise they would have access to. So we have to be very careful that uh, my colleagues don't trivialize this matter and make it a media circus to where they're giving and allowing others to put together context clues in terms of our assets globally. Right. So, so what I hear you saying, sir, is, is you want the facts. You want, you want it clear tomorrow. You made a reference to, to 50 years ago, and I believe, if not, we're not mistaken, then-Representative Gerald Ford, and I have a, a quote in part that says, I am proposing hearings on the subject of UFOs and invite testimony from both the executive branch of the government and some of the persons who claim to have seen UFOs. So we have those witnesses tomorrow, allegedly. One of them who has allegedly would be providing testimony of witnessing those events. Um, tell me a little bit about the three witnesses who we'll be hearing from tomorrow and what you want to hear from them. Well, you know, we, we certainly want to hear from folks. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons why I held the hearing last year, the first hearing in over 50 years. Um, I think that more people want answers. Um, I can't speak to Mr. Grisha's claims. But I certainly believe he, I believe he has a right to come before the committee and the American people, quite frankly, uh, in a way that still protects our national security without disclosing classified information. You know, whistleblowing is so important to the checks and balances of our, our, our government. Um, and, and no federal employee, or employee for that matter, should feel discouraged from speaking out in fear of retribution or retaliation. So exposing any wrongdoing can can really change very destructive and hurtful behavior and practices in the workplace. But it also allows us to hold government officials in particular accountable in the long term, making sure our democracy is stronger going forward. Right. And being held accountable. Um, I, I only have time for one quick question. Uh, there was a poll by North, uh, Newsweek done that said 57 percent of Americans do believe the government is withholding information. Sir, are you one of those 57 percent? And if you are, can um, Americans handle 
the possibility of life outside of humans. Well, the work last year was to destigmatize UAP uh, reporting. Uh, I think that people are there. They're getting there. Obviously, there have been reactions in the past from 1947 even to H.D. Wells' uh, a War of the Worlds where folks were jumping out of buildings. But I think we've come to a different place thanks to science fiction and, and thanks to consistent reporting and groups like MUFON and others and, and documentarians. Uh, but the question becomes, is it otherworldly? Is it top secret? Or is it interdimensional? Stay tuned. Congressman Carson, we're so grateful for your time, and we anticipate perhaps some bombshells tomorrow. We'll see. Thank you again. Thank you. All right, so let's turn to our panel now. Congressman, if I may start with you, a lot of anticipation ahead of tomorrow. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? Are you looking forward to it, or do you not really care? I liked your last (laughs) question to Congressman Carson. Like, can we deal with uh, aliens? Um, I, I have no idea what we're going to find out. Uh, but but I, I think if you want to take away any kind of jokes that can be associated with UFOs, and that new term, what were the new initials? UAP. That, yeah, it's like he should say UFOs because nobody knows what yeah, the heck Every that is. time I have to break it down, I'm yeah, like, it's like, what, what is, is it? that again? Can we just say UFO. Um, I, I, I think getting to the truth is always good. Um, and if, if this is going to reveal some new information that as we sit here right now we don't know, um, that's great. I like it, too, a little bit of a, of a reprieve. There is some bipartisan support because everyone just wants to know what they know. So we'll see. Thank you so much. We do have a programming note. News Nation's Brian Enton will host a special live coverage of the Congressional UFO whistleblower hearing. That is tomorrow, right after Morning in America. So tune in at 10 a.m. Eastern. And coming up. Politics and higher education. With the end of affirmative action, Democrats are going after legacy admissions. So should that practice end as well? We're going to ask a leading Republican up next. I would, if the Lord put me in charge, I would get the federal federal government out of education in a heartbeat because it's not delineated. That was Republican Congresswoman from North Carolina and chair of the House Education and Workforce Committee, Ms. Virginia Fox. Education is a major flashpoint in politics right now. From school boards, library books, even on the campaign trail, people are rightfully concerned about our education system. Joining us now is Chairwoman Fox. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm so grateful. You know, I was looking at a, a Gallup poll and the very well, low you, confidence. I appreciate it. And the, and the decline in confidence over years. I have two children in the public education system. How did we get here? Well, Elizabeth, um, over the years, the public education system has failed to deliver for the American people. The unions have total control. And what happened during COVID is parents found out how bad the education system is, how bad the unions are, and how they're only self-serving. You know, I went through public education as a child. I got a good education, but that's not happening anymore. And something has to be done to provide more accountability in our education system. As I said in that clip, this is not the role of the federal government. It's really the role of the states and the local governments. Okay, so, um, you know, you're an elected, uh, elected leader. What is the solution? How do we fix it? If you said unions are in control, how do you put the cat back in the bag? 
Well, it's very difficult to do. We are promoting school choice. We're promoting um, uh, tax credits for people so that they can give money to allow students to choose the school of their choice. Um, having students go to schools outside what we call actually the government schools, not just public schools, but that's part of the issue, having people be able to vote with their feet, but being supported by their own tax dollars to do that instead of having to pay for the government programs and then also paying for going to a private or parochial school. So but that's wouldn't part you argue, of the answer. Wouldn't you argue, Chairwoman, that 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 would be very, very hard for low-income households. Well, the whole idea is to give low-income people that option. Right now, rich people can choose to go to non-government schools, but we want low-income people to be able to do that. That's why we're pushing that option, and we're pushing scholarships. Many, many states are doing it. I think 27 states now have scholarship funds for low-income people to be able to, again, vote with their feet and go to the best school for their child. Um, and that takes away the power from the unions and from the government. You know, new today, the Department of Education is investigating some of the uh, legacy admissions, the process at, at, at Harvard. I know how you feel about loan forgiveness. I know how you feel about affirmative action. I don't know how you feel about legacy admissions and, how, and what your stance is. Well, my attitude is that colleges and universities should be admitting the very best possible people into their programs. If they want to improve their graduation rates, if they want to improve completion rates, um, they should be admitting the very best people. Sometimes those might be people who uh, come from families that have already attended that institution. But the schools should be making the very best decisions. What we want to do on the Education Committee is to hold those schools accountable for students completing their work and being able to get a job in their field. That may have ultimately an impact on what the schools do. What we want is accountability. The taxpayers at the federal level put a lot of money into education, and it's time they started seeing a return on their taxes to the schools. So if we have better accountability, better transparency, then I think that will take care of the issue of legacy admissions. All right, Chairwoman, I'm so grateful for your time. Obviously, regardless of whether or not you're a parent with a child Thank in the you, public Elizabeth. education system, um, it is all... Uh, in our favor to be invested in it. Thank you. All right, let's well, go to our panel you. now. Ask Bob, if I... Back. We'll talk about this issue again. Yes, I would love to have you back. I'm grateful for your time. Bob, in the meantime, um, you know, there was a lot of things that the chairwoman said that were interesting. I, I did hear at the end there, you know, we put a lot of money <clears throat> into the education system. Are, is the education system performing? Well, no, it's not. It's not equitable and hasn't been. And education used to be more of a bipartisan issue, and then COVID just ruined that, basically. You know, I think some of the solutions she's talking about are, are not going to get through a Democratic Senate. At the same time, I think Republicans should be pushing charter schools more because that is more bipartisan. You can tick off Democrats on that issue. Um, but she she definitely is a very aggressive legislator, uh, and, and she doesn't hold back. Yeah, I know. I love it when we stir the pot, Bob. Thank you. I appreciate it. The House Oversight Committee is gearing up for a historic hearing tomorrow. Americans may finally get some answers on what the federal government does or does not know 
about UFOs. Let's bring in Elizabeth Vargas. Elizabeth, opening statements have been released ahead of tomorrow, and I know you have all the details. Yeah, we do. We're going to have a few of those details from David Grush's opening statement. He says this is important to him. He thinks this is an important congressional oversight issue and an executive abuse of privilege issue. We're also going to hear from two people who've spent many, many, many years, even decades, uh, trying to get information from the military, from the government about UFOs or UAPs. They claim, uh, both of them, that they have been stonewalled. Um, David John Greenwald has a, an interesting website uh, filled with millions of declassified government documents. He has spent his entire adult life filing Freedom of Information requests, FOIAs, to the government. Uh, he says the military continues to stonewall and do whatever it can. In fact, he has seen more obstruction, he claims, in the last five years than in the previous 25. So we're going to talk to him about what he's looking for, as well as explore the Phoenix Lights story, which is one of the most infamous UFO, mass UFO sightings in history. Um, we'll talk to a woman, a doctor who saw the Phoenix Lights that night, uh, gave up her medical practice to research it. And she'll be here to join us uh, with what she saw and why she believes it was otherworldly. So we'll have that in just a few minutes. All right. I can't wait. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. And you can watch Elizabeth Vargas reports right after The Hill. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern, so just about eight minutes from now. And just a reminder, News Nation's Brian Enton will host a special live coverage of the Congressional UFO whistleblower hearing. That's tomorrow, right after Morning in America at 10 a.m. Eastern. You don't want to miss it. After the break, have you ever gotten a surprise visit from the IRS? Not a, not a note, but a physical visit. If you have, good news. Never again. We'll explain. A ship unlike any other. Mercy Ships, a floating hospital staffed by volunteers, heroes of mercy who donate their time to save lives. Every human has the right to have a place at the table of the human race. If you could just see the smiles that you get when lives have been changed, then it would make it all worth it. To learn more about Heroes of Mercy, go to mercyships.org. Now back to News Nation, America's fastest growing cable news network. For more than a century, AM radio has evolved to meet the needs of our community. In their car, at home, or on the job, more than 80 million listeners depend on AM radio each month. AM radio is also the backbone of the emergency alert system, which keeps us safe in dangerous times. It's reliable, free, and public safety depends on it. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM radio in cars. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. For my friend, Luke. For my mom, Paulette. And for my mom, Finia. For my husband, Helmet. Honor someone you love by learning the warning signs of stroke. If you see face drooping, arm weakness, or speech difficulty, it's time to call 911. A stroke can happen to anyone at any age. Be ready to spot a stroke fast. Learn more from the American Stroke Association at stroke.org. Kids across America are going to school hungry. Millions of kids every day. But one simple thing can help change all of this for a hungry child in America. Good healthy food and the energy it brings. With help from caring people across America, No Kid Hungry is providing healthy meals and hope to hungry kids so they can build better futures. To learn more about ending child hunger in America, go to helpnokidhungry.org today. 
How was your drive to school? Let me tell you. I had to get my iced coffee first. I just can't seem to put it down. My favorite rapper just announced a tour. My phone was buzzing like crazy. I'm so excited. I had to text all my friends right then to talk about it. Then someone started calling me and... Let's try that again. I turned my phone off right away. I never drive distracted. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. Welcome back. So for many of us, any visit from the IRS is probably unwelcome. It usually means that they want your hard-earned money. But if an IRS employee has knocked on your door once, you don't have to worry about it. They're not going to be knocking anymore. The IRS is ending its most unannounced visits to taxpayer homes after concern over employee safety and taxpayer safety. So I turn to our panel, and when I say, was this a smart idea, is it, is it, are we all going to agree that, yes, it oh, was yeah. a smart idea? Yeah. yeah, who wants to knock on the door from the IRS? Right yeah, now? right. I call this the IRS's Hunter Biden policy oh, because no. you never know when a crackhead with a gun is going to be on the other side of your tax request. Can you say that on national TV? Like that? I, think she just, can, I think she just did. Without a doubt. This is what you that got. Is a, that that is an unknown for you as an IRS. Okay, I'll let you have that one. Okay, the real problem you. here is that by the time the IRS visits you, I think it's important that they don't visit you, is they've tried to reach you in other ways for several uh, months, if not years, and you haven't paid. So they're not wiping away your tax debt. They're just not going to come see you in person and embarrass you in front of people. Yeah, so you have the family. safety thing. And the other part of it is they're using more of their resources now to go after the richest of the richest of the rich, which is what they should be spending their money on and their time on. Well, and this was highlighted by the journalist Matt Taibbi, who was reporting on the, the Twitter files. And when he mm-hmm. claimed that IRS agent knocked on his door, I'm like, come on, that's not, that, they can't do that. I didn't know they could do that. Oh, yeah. um, and I, I think that was a big part of the reason of this mm-hmm. policy change. Um, but my question, too, before I let you go, will they be using, have they explained where they will be using more of these resources, or have they not? No, they have. They have. Yeah. No, they what have. They, they have. It, it's, sure. it's all, the, the resources are a lot more money that was yep. put into the IRS is to yes. go after the richest of the richest of the rich, because you get a lot more return on your investment if you're going after those taxpayers as opposed to the folks at the the lower earners. But you mean tax sheets, though. I, I, you can ta- make a yes, lot of money, cheats. but if you're cheating the tax IRS. Tax cheats. Right. But it was shocking yes. in the initial budget request for the IRS how many guns they were asking for, and you're mm-hmm. like, why does the IRS need to be <laughs> for safety this armed? But apparently they're making house business. All right. Well, yeah. good news. We won't be getting visits anymore. So now we can just do whatever we want. <laughs> you still got to pay the IRS. Oh, whatever. Oh, details. Details. Lawyer's reality. Yeah, I forgot. We Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.